church. It's good to be here. I haven't seen you guys in at least five-ish months. About that time. Five-ish. on okay so did anyone read the title of today's sermon the P word I called this sermon that because um, it's actually a subject that I came that I was uh, last week's uh, Sabbath school when I was studying it I came over a day over a topic I knew practically nothing about and I've never heard it preached before I'm, I'm sure someone has but I personally haven't heard it um, that's why I decided when I was asked to preach this sermon to do it over that topic. So what do you think the word is? Free. No. Free. No. It is not praise, peace. It is not prayer. No. 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 Which one? No. No. All right. The word. Can someone tell me? I should have. It should have changed. Okay. Did it? Okay. All right. That is the word. Can someone tell it to me? Perfect. The word is perfect. Um, with God's grace, I started writing the sermon yesterday. So I was like, I spent most of yesterday just like reading the Bible, everything that had the word perfect, and then Ellen White's writings, everything that had the word perfect. And then I, try, I tried to summarize it here because I think I had over 20-some pages of just Bible texts and Ellen White's comments. So I tried to summarize it made it as basic as possible. Um, and there's going to be four parts to the sermon. Can you see the four parts there? The first one is, what is it? What do I need to know about it? Is it possible to achieve? And if it is possible, how would I do it? So let us start. Let me see. All right, so let us start with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the Sabbath day that you've given us, Lord. Thank you so much that um, we are here, Lord. I ask that you will send the Holy Spirit on us to guide me, Lord, so I can say what is truth from the Bible, Lord, and also be with my hearers, that they may hear you and not me. And Lord, help me not to be nervous, but to be able to do this quick, to be able to do this smoothly. Amen. Amen. All right. So whenever, I'm not going to try to look back behind me, but with any time that I start saying something and it's not in the PowerPoint, let me know, because I probably am not clicking fast enough. All right, so first we're going to start with a definition. We're going to start, um, as it says there, with the world's definition, and then we're going to go to the biblical definition. So let us read the, the world's definition. Um, according to the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, to be perfect means being entirely without fault or defect, corresponding to an ideal standard or an abstract concept, lacking in no essential detail, faithfully reproducing the original, as good as it is possible to be, satisfying all requirements, 
and bringing to final form. Which of these uh, definitions of perfect do you think most closely correlates with the biblical definition? If you had to pick one. My dad chose five, which is as good as it is possible to be. Anyone else? Seven, bringing to final form. You like one? Uh, being entirely without fault or defect. Four, and four is faithfully reproducing the original. All right, so we're going to move on to the biblical definition. All right. um, there were a lot of words that our Bible translates into the word perfect. I chose only three of them, two from the Old Testament and one from the New the first one I chose was shalem or shalam, something around that. And it means complete, safe, whole, full, and at peace. I like this definition because I like the way it describes it. It means peace, whole, complete. And isn't that the goal of the Christian life? To be at peace with God? To be safe in his shadow? So we're going to be looking at three Bible texts that use this word so we can kind of get a context of how the word is used in Hebrew. All right, the first one is 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Um, I should probably say that all the underlined words in this one are the same word in Hebrew. So you can get a picture. Genesis 34, 21. These men were peaceable with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. And the third one, Ruth 2, 12. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So even though our Bible translated as one word, perfect or full or peace, in the Hebrew, it is all the same word. So when we're thinking about what the word itself means in Hebrew, it means something that is complete, something that was required for that time or um, what was needed at that time. So we're going to move on to the second Hebrew word, which is the one we probably know more of because it was talked about in last week's Sabbath school. And it is the word tam. This is the word that was used to describe Job. It was also the word that was used to describe, I believe, Abraham. And it means almost the same thing, to be whole, one who is lacking nothing, and integrity, which is how some of the Bibles translate uh, how they describe Job. Since we don't have a lot of time, uh, we're going to move on from this word, because it wasn't used as much. And we're going to go to the next one, which was used a lot. And it is the word teleos, which is the Greek word. It means lacking nothing necessary, or in other words, you're not missing anything that's vital. You, it was brought to its end, and I love the last one. It's mature. I like that definition because when you are maturing, you're growing. And that was the word that was also used in last week's Sabbath school. This word is also the word that was used in um, Matthew 5:48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. This word, teleos, it was used throughout the entire New Testament. So now that we have a basic 
um, understanding of what the word is. I will describe it later on, what it means and to our lives. But when you say that something is perfect, when we say Christ's character is perfect, what are we talking about? Could we talk about his love? Could we be talking about his righteousness? Could we be talking about obedience? Or could we be talking about um, patience? But that's not what we're going to be focusing on right now. All we need to focus on for right now is that Christ's character is perfect. And as Christians, we need to take special notice of the next verse. 1 John 2.6. Can someone read it to me? Amen. So we're going to move on with that verse to the second part. Do we need to become perfect? Is it even possible? Let us find out. Deuteronomy 18.13. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Genesis 17.1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. So far, we read two verses here of the Old Testament where God is asking us to be perfect. So let us move on to the New Testament. Can you see the New Testament? Okay. Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but ye, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I got those two. I was only going to go with the first two, but then I thought, well, I should put some in the old, of the New Testament as well. According to these four Bible verses, God is calling us to be perfect. But why should we be perfect? This is a good question, and Ellen White gives us a very quick answer Yes, yes, but even other versions, they use like the word complete, fulfill, which is the same word in Hebrew. All right, do you see our Father cares? All right, on page 281, Ellen White says, what does God require? Perfection, nothing less than perfection. In this quote, it even tells us why we need to strive to be that, because God is requiring it. The second one is from Mount of Blessings. And if you ever get a chance, read that whole chapter because it really describes that verse very well. The conditions of eternal life under grace, even under grace, guys, are just what they were in Eden. Perfect righteousness, harmony with God, perfect conformity to the principles of his law. Doesn't that sound exactly like the definition that we read earlier of the word perfect? That we're supposed to be full with God? at peace with him. What Ellen White is saying here is the exact same thing that the Bible was telling us. But I want us to break down this last quote. Look at the last quote. Well, according to that verse, what were the requirements of heaven? The first one was perfect righteousness. It's underlined. The second one is harmony with God. And what was the third one? Conformity, Conformity or obedience. So let's think about this. God has asked us to be all these three things. What does the Bible say if we are not these three things? 
All right, what if I am not righteous? What if I'm unrighteous? Well, remember what it says in 1 John. All, righteous, all unrighteousness is sin. What if I'm not in harmony with God? Well, if you're not in harmony with someone, are you not rebelling against that person? And remember what it says in 1 Samuel. For rebellion is the sin of what? Witchcraft. And what if I don't obey the law of God? What happens then? And that is in Deuteronomy 11. You have blessings if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, and the curses if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but you turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. We do not need to have a master's in theology to know what that must mean, to be cursed by God himself, because he's the one who's speaking here. That should be a thought that terrifies us. What I want you to think about from what I've shown you here is that apparently the subject is very nest like the word perfect is significant for us as Christians because according to the verses we read it has eternal consequences. Now we're going to move on to the third part and that was is can we be perfect? What is our limitations and what happens if we don't try to be? All right. Is it possible to be perfect? First, I want us to talk about different types of perfection. When I was reading Ellen White, I noticed that on some she would say it's possible, and then on some she'd say it's not. So I got two of them separate so we can compare them. There are two types, and I think we tend to confuse with the first type. There's a perfection we can reach, and there's a perfection that will take us an eternity. The first type, I think, is the one we know best. In Lift Him Up, I know Ellen White mentioned it in another book, but I don't remember, it says, it is our life work to be reaching forward to the perfection of Christian character, striving continuously for conformity to the will of God. The efforts begun upon earth will continue through eternity. This is the definition of perfection that I think we always get stuck on. We use it in an excuse that we will never be perfect, so we shouldn't even try. But according to here, we should be striving and it even says in that, in that uh, quote that we should start where? Here on earth. But it will continue even into eternity, which I think is the word that we know as um, sanctification, something that must be continuously changing us every day. But there is a second type that Ellen White mentions, and that's the one that we'll be focusing on today. And it is found in, med in medical uh, ministry, and it's also found in a few other books, but that's the easiest one. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. As God is perfect in his fear, so man is to be perfect in his fear. Here we learn that there's different, I don't know what the word is, levels or fears or different areas of perfection. The first one is God's, but there is another one that we can try to reach. And that is in the second quote. At every stage of development, our life may be perfect. So did you hear that? At every stage. Yet, if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be constant advancement. If you're advancing, according to this quote, you're doing pretty good. Because if we're stagnant, we're not advancing. Remember what was one of the definitions of, perfection, of the word perfect in the beginning? It was the word growth. 
And it is repeated here. Are we growing in our development? So I have here um, a chart that we used in my uh, nursing program about um, the stages of development for a child. So looking at an infant of eight months, they should be able to do certain things. They should be able to follow sounds. They should be like, able to locate if their mom is talking to them. They love to play peekaboo, like they love to see people smiling. And they are beginning to be able to pick up spoons, you know, like holding the stuff, their fine motor gets a little better. But at eight months in that picture, can they walk on their own yet? No. Do you think that they can feed themselves without spilling their food? No. Um, for the, but even though they can't do those things for their age, did they reach the standards of where they are? They did. They are perfect in the sphere where they are. But let us think about the downside. Every, not every infant, but some children will go, what we call, will go through what we call regression. And this usually happens if they're sick, if there's a, like family stress, or if there's a lack of stimuli, they'll go back to an earlier stage of development. So even though they're eight months, they've only met the standards of four months. And the same thing that happens with kids can happen to us in our spiritual lives. We will go through a hard time. We will go, or we won't have enough um, opportunities to exercise our faith, and we will regress. All right. However, even though we can reach perfection in a certain way, we need to be very careful with something. When we're talking about perfection, we need to remember something about ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to remember that we are sinners and of our own, we can't do anything spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.14 the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When we're talking about what God wants of us, we need to remember that we cannot do it on our own. Only God can do it, because what is spiritual can only be helped by spiritual. All right. This one I got from another quote, which I thought was really interesting. This one kind of combines the first type with the second type. Sanctification is not the work of a moment. It is sad that some believe sanctification can be instant. It can't. We will fall back on a, plas, on a past blessing or excitement, and we will even affirm that they had been months and years in a state of perfect love without committing a single sin. And they scoff at the idea that they could be in a better condition or in a holier state. This spirit is very different from the one we should be having. Because the pious and devoted men and women in the past, what happened as they got closer to God? They would weep over the remains of inbred sin and in whose lives we trace progress and sanctification. So we can't think to ourselves, oh, I haven't sinned today. Yay. Because that's not true. We sin somehow in something we didn't do, in something we thought, or a desire that we have. Because remember, if we weren't sinners, we wouldn't have to be here on earth. We could be with God up in heaven, but we are not perfect. All right, while we talk 
while that, well, what we're talking about is that a certain form of perfection can be started here on earth, the other form will take us an eternity to learn. Be very careful if you think you are perfect, because the closer to God you grow, the more you will see that we are wretched, miserable, and naked. So I want to ask you, can we be perfect? Yes. But can we be perfect on our own? No. Will we be able to perfect the whole scope of perfection here on earth? No. Not necessarily. Because remember, there's two types. One that is the maturing one, and the one that we'll be studying for eternity. All right, so let us... All right, Hebrews 13.21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, he equips you with every good thing to do his will, and, he, and may he accomplish in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. We need to remember that Christ will equip us with anything that he asks us to do. If he gave us a command in the Bible, it's because we can reach it with his help. God is not arbitrary. Remember this quote. Our dependence is not in what man can do. It is on what God can do for man through Christ. So now that we have a basic understanding, we're going to recap it real quick on what is our role as a Christian. All right. Deuteronomy 18, 13 says, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord your God. So, okay, we should try to be perfect. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing or growing the harvest of your righteousness. So only Christ can supply us with what we need to go closer to him. And Ephesians 4.15, we are to grow up in how many aspects? In all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. So let's stop on that last one, Ephesians 4.15, to grow up in all aspects. What do you think that means? And I want to hear at least two people give me an answer. What do you think that means to grow in all aspects? Every year of your life. One more person. Spiritual. The spiritual, the moral, the physical. Are you taking care of your body? Because it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you taking care of your mind? Are you covering your eyes from what is sinful? Are you taking care of your spiritual side? Are you talking to God? Are you having worship? Are you being spiritually fed? This one's almost like the previous one, but so that we can get an idea, a little bit more of an idea. True sanctification means perfect love, perfect obedience, perfect conformity to the will of God. We are to be sanctified to God through obedience to the truth. Our consciousness must be purged from dead works to serve the living God. We are not yet perfect, but it is our privilege to cut away from the entanglements of self and sin and advance to perfection. So whenever you feel like, oh, there's no way I'll be perfect, I shouldn't even try. It's literally saying here, it's our pleasure to throw away sin and grow closer to Christ. Great possibilities 
high and holy attainments are placed within the reach of all. Not some of us. We all have the same person who can help us. God is not going to choose who he's going to give his blessings to. He wants to give it to all of us. According to these, we are called to be perfect, to grow in righteousness, and we have the great privilege of cutting away from sin. Now, let us move on to the last part, and probably the one that, at least for me, I think I cut down this part from almost... It was a lot. I'm not going to say how many it was, but it was a lot. And I cut it down to like five pages or so. So it's not going to be too much, but it's the how. How can we mature and be perfect in our development? Remember that we cannot do this of our own accord. Only God can do this. So what, according to the Bible, what must I do? What part do I play in this? The first verse is found in 2 Samuel. God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. Again, that word perfect is the same word that I, that I defined from the Hebrew word in the beginning. So what we need to consider about this verse is that our strength to change comes from God. If you try to be perfect of your own volition, it will not happen. The second one, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Notice that it said here, so that the man may be complete. It's the same word, the teleos, that I described to you in the beginning. So one of the things that we also need to do is that we need to read our Bible because God gave it to us and if he gave it to us it's because we need it so diverging a, diverging a little more into reading the Bible I got here a quote um, from Ellen White about um, when the disciples finally were able to see and I love how she described it so I have it here and we'll read it under the influence of this heavenly illumination the scriptures that Christ had explained to the disciples stood out before them with the luster of perfect truth. The veil that had prevented them from seeing to the end of that which had been abolished was now removed. They comprehended with perfect clearness the object of Christ's mission and the nature of his kingdom. They could speak with the power of their savior. And as they unfolded to the hearers the plan of salvation, many were convicted and convinced. The traditions and the superstitions inoculated by the priests were swept away from their minds, and the teaching of the Savior was accepted. In the beginning of this quote, it says that their eyes finally were opened as the Spirit was revealing to them what they had already known. So it's not just reading and studying the Bible. God needs to be the one who is guiding us as we read the Bible. Because if we read the Bible in our own power, we will not be reading, we will not get the right message. Because think about this, most wars are started because of religion. Because someone believes one thing, and because someone from the same verse believes another. We need God's help to understand. The next one is Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in you. 
So in this one, in order for us to have that peace that only Christ can give, there's two things according to this verse. The mind must be stayed on him. Why do you think that we need to focus on Christ? Why do you think we need to think about him, that we need to contemplate him throughout the day? He's the only one. And if you think about it, a relationship will never form if you don't spend time with the person. And the other part of that verse says, because he trusts in you. Another part of that is that we can't go by feelings. We just need to know that God is there for us. And then the next one, I really like this one, so I put it in. The inhabitants of heaven are perfect. And let's find out why. Why are the inhabitants of heaven perfect? Because the will of God is their joy and supreme delight. God's will must be the greatest desire that we could ever have. We should be eagerly praying, waiting for God to give us what he wants us to do for the day. We should not start this day without waiting to find out what is God's will for our lives. When you spend time with God, when you're in church praising his name, or when you're praying, are you bored? Or are you eagerly there waiting because you are waiting to hear God's voice? Do you have great joy in knowing what God has commanded for you to do? The next one, 1 Peter, uh, Peter 5.10. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In this one, there's two things that can help us grow closer to God or more mature. The one is God's grace. Because let's be honest, nothing, we won't be here if it wasn't for God's grace. The second one is suffering. Suffering, I think, gives us the unique opportunity of growing closer to God because it forces us to rely on him and not on our own. Because remember, the biggest part of the Christian journey is surrender of self. We cannot get anywhere with Christ if we cannot let go of what is holding us back. The next one, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So guys, what does this verse say we need to do? Pray. Exceedingly. So what do you think it means when it says pray exceedingly? Continually. continually. So I want to ask, are we praying continually? I am, but usually only during finals. So I think I need to add that, like I need to pray more in my life. But think back, think to yourselves. Do you pray without ceasing? Only when we're suffering. Only when we're suffering. So let's pray in our New Year's resolution that we can pray without ceasing. Because remember, prayer is our weapon. It's what connects us to heaven. God justly claimed... Oh. God justly claims the love and obedience of all his creatures. He has given them in his law a perfect standard of right. Only by faith in Christ can the sinner be cleansed from guilt and be enabled to render obedience to the law of his maker. Only by faith. So let's see if you guys can think with me. 
what chapter in the Bible do you think I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about faith? Hebrews, Hebrews 11. Now it was too long to put in the PowerPoint, so I edited it down a little bit. Can you see it? All right, so we'll read a little bit about faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet of not, of not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. And again, we have the word righteousness in there. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. They survived that sea, but what happened to the Egyptians? They drowned. Since God has planned something better for us, so that only together with us could they be made perfect. By faith, these mighty men in the Bible were able to go where God told them to go. They were able to subdue nations, and they were able to bring, nation, and they were able to bring mountains down. Faith, like it says in the very beginning of this verse, is the substance of our growth. All right. The next one is Genesis 6-9. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah, what did Noah do? He walked with God. Now, what do you think it means when you say, I walked with someone? I want at least two people to tell me. What does it mean when you walk with someone? One accord. You're at peace with each other. What else? Getting to know each other. Amen. I think of all the ones I mentioned, this one is the most important. Because haven't you noticed that when someone says, and he walked with God, don't you like feel like you stopped there and like, wow, he walked with God. Enoch walked to God. And what was his, and what was his um, reward for walking with God? He was taken to heaven. Isn't that what we want, to be taken to heaven? Then we need to remember that every day, every moment of our lives, we need to walk with God. Now, I got here a quote. It's by Ken um, Biblo something. I don't quite remember his last name, but it's very pretty. I only want to go where you have gone before me. I'll only dare to step ahead if you, my Lord, will lead. My heart can be so foolish and my wisdom so untrue. My Lord, I want to walk in you. I only want to walk with you. As we get closer and closer to God, some, there must be changes in our lives. Okay. And this one is very beautiful. I really love this quote. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. For your vision will be clearer, and your imperfections will be seen in the broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. This is evidence that the Vivian influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. A view of our sinfulness should do what? Drive us to him who can pardon. Because we can sometimes get stuck at the morning and not go to God. But if we're mourning, that is the most perfect time to go to God. When the soul, realizing its helpless, helplessness state, 
reaches out after Christ, he will reveal himself in power. The more our sense of need drives us to him and to the word of God, the more exalted views we shall have of his character. And what's that last phrase? And the more fully we will reflect his image. All right, so let us summarize a little bit of what we went through and then we will finish. There were two main types of perfection, although they're technically almost the same scope but different sides. One is the process of sanctification that we should start here on earth, but it will take us a very, very long time to make progress on that one. And then there is another one, the continued maturation and the perfection according to our developmental age. How long have you been a Christian? 20 years? 30 years? How, much, how many times have you read the Bible? How well do you know your Lord? To compare to what you were a year ago, are you the same? Can you, can you think of yourself and think, where I am now, have I matured since last year? Or have I been stagnant, stuck in the same place? So think about that. All right, and the next one is, we shall be more like Christ if we, and this is summarizing all the verses I read, if we rely on God, read and study the scriptures with the Holy Spirit's help, our minds must be fixed on Jesus, God's will should be our highest desire and joy to follow, use the suffering of our lives to give us opportunities to rely more on God, pray without ceasing, and the last one, walk by faith, not by sight. Now, there was a lot more verses than that, but what you can do is you can just go like uh, to Bible Gateway and just search uh, perfect, and then you will get a lot of verses. So if you want to read the other ones I couldn't cover, you can do that. But remember, the closer you are to God, the more sinful you will realize you are. So I want us to end by reading um, a couple verses because this isn't a sermon unless someone opens their Bible. So can someone, can I have one volunteer to read Luke 6.40 and then someone to read Matthew 6.33? There'll be two verses. So who wants to do Luke 6.40? All right, we have Luke 6.40. How about Matthew 6.33? You can do it. All right, whoever chose Luke 6.40, can you go ahead, please? So that verse tells us that we will never be above Christ, but that we should be like him. And can someone read Matthew 6? No, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 6.33. So basically, the summary of everything I talked about is seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all the righteousness will be added to you. So instead of a prayer, we're going to be reading a song. If I would have known Madeline would have been here, I would have had her play on the piano, but I wasn't planning for that. So we're going to be reading this one. So all of us, if you want, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to read it and you close your eyes and meditate upon it? Or do we all read it together? Read it together? All right. Let us start. All is in Christ. God's dear Son is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is life's perfection. 
perfect love and perfect light, Son of God, the true reflection of the Father's radiance bright, all the treasure of God's riches, all the secrets of his wisdom, all in Christ are hid away. Let his name be praised today. All is in Christ, God's dear Son is Lord of all. In me there is naught but weakness. I am worthless, full of sin, stricken by its mortal sickness, lacking light and hope within. Now in Christ I find abundant victory and strength and power. Savior, come and live in me. Come and make me rich in thee. And then the last one. All is in Christ. God's dear Son is Lord of all. Savior, pardon my transgressions, for my love is still so small. Though I give all my possessions, this would profit scarce at all. Tis myself that thou desires, so I give myself, dear Master. Nothing hast thou kept from me, nor will I keep aught from thee. Amen. <clears throat> 